Heavenly Father, at this time as we learn about salvation and how we can be saved, we ask that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible, that it may be present here with us right now to help us understand it clearly. Help us not just understand it, Lord, but help every single person to increase in faith that they may see that they too can share this. Father God, may the grace that saves us be accompanied here with your Spirit so that we can put into practice and have faith in what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point, you're about your third study in, right? What have we covered so far? Who remembers? Do you guys remember what was the very first study we did? It's about the Bible, right? And we looked that the Bible is true and trustworthy when we did that through the lens of Daniel chapter 2. Do you guys remember what happened in Daniel chapter 2? Yeah, big old statue, right? And its head was made out of gold. It's silver and arms. Uh, no, 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 no. Ah, I messed it up. I gave you the answer. It's chest and arms, silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet were partly of and partly of clay. And is that where it finished? No, it finishes with the promise of the kingdom of God coming and removing the pains of this world and there being an everlasting kingdom, not one that's made with human hands, but one that was made by God for us so that we can dwell with him forever in a kingdom that will not be destroyed, not by an external influence, nor by internal sin. All right, what did we learn last week? I gave you tips in the testimony that I shared at the beginning. We learned about the great controversy. And does evil abound in this world, yes or no? Is God to blame for it? No. Did he create Satan? Mm. Remember, he created Lucifer, a perfect free moral being. And Lucifer turned himself into Satan by choosing to rebel against God. We learnt what kind of ruler is Satan? Is he, is he helpful or would you say he's selfish? He's selfish. And from that little image that we got about Jesus at the very last verse last week, how is God, the true God of heaven and earth, in comparison to Satan? Satan was trying to go up at the expense of anyone else and Jesus was willing to go through anything to be able to save you, yes? And so as opposed to being selfish, he is selfless. Something along these lines is exactly how I would introduce this study. You don't always have to have a story, but something that can happen over time of doing Bible studies, remember it's a week apart each time, when you get to week nine and then you try to do a review, you're going to find a lot of people can't really remember everything. And so sometimes by way of introduction, I just do a review of what we've covered. And not only do I do a review of what we've covered, but really the end of the last Bible study at the, on the Great Controversy is actually sets up this study perfectly. And so I'll say, all right, awesome, now that we've reviewed that, this week, we're going to be studying the topic of salvation. We're going to be learning why we need to be saved, how we are, and how we can be saved. 
And I hope and I pray that at the end of this, you'll make the choice to be saved. So let's go to the first question. So if you have a study guides there, you can open them up. And the first question is, what is sin? What is sin? And we find the answer to that in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. The study guides will be coming out to you as I speak. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Now remember, when it comes to 1 John, if they are somewhat familiar with the Bible, they're most, going, most likely going to be turning to the Gospel of John. <laughs> All right? Remember, don't forget, be patient with people, yes? It's not awkward for them if you don't allow it to be awkward for you. Yes? And just understand, listen, when you first started to become familiar with this, you, have, you loved when you figured out how a concordance works. Didn't you? You weren't just knowing how to turn places. You loved how you figured out what it, oh, and you were looking for page numbers just like they were. And notice, if you can remember just for a second, when you were at the place where you were looking for the book, it wasn't boring for you. Yeah? And so don't assume that it's boring. In fact, what you'll see as you keep studying with people, very, very little can ever be boring because they are learning new, beautiful truths that are transforming their lives. And so, once they get to the Gospel of John, move them and help them find the first epistle of John. And so, we're in 1 John. What chapter, church? Do you guys have the notes in front of you there? Or it's maybe on the screen. Chapter 3. 1 John. Oh, that's a really big concordance. 1 John, chapter 3, and let's read verse 4 together. What is the, and this is what I'll do. Remember, there'll be some time that passes between when you ask the question and when they find the verse. So once they find the verse, remind them, what's the answer we're trying to find? And church, what's the answer we're trying to find? What is sin? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, Whoever commits sin also commits what? Lawlessness. And sin is what? lawlessness. The only definition for sin is disobeying God's law. God's law, the Ten Commandments that are found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 through 17, is the objective standard of righteousness, showing us what is right and what is wrong. Its principles cover every conceivable sin. Now remember, I jumped into preaching mode just for a second. Because what you will do is, so what's the answer we're finding, looking for? And then they'll read the verse and you say to them, okay, so what do you think, according to the Bible, is sin? And from the Bible, you will come up with lawlessness, yes? Depending on the translation that they're reading, some translations will spell it out even clearer, where they say sin is transgression of the law. And so what is sin? It's breaking the commandments of God. And then you can read under that to explain that a little bit more. And so church, so far, this is a very simple study. What is sin? Breaking the commandments of God, yes? All right, next question. 
how many people have sinned? Well, we're going to find that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And what's the question we're trying to answer? Who remembers? How many people have sinned? So let's read the Bible and let's see what the Bible says. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. The Bible says this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. So how many, according to the Bible, have sinned? All. So, am I better than you? Yes or no? All right, that might have been easy for you to say. But are you better than me? Why? Because we have all sinned. Every single person has sinned. And what is sin? As we're tracking through, we're kind of reminding them of what they've learned. And what is sin? Lawlessness or breaking the commandments. So in other words, how many have broken the commandments? All. Now, is this good news or bad news? Well, let's find out in the next question. Because, oh, actually, we'll read this. The Bible says very clearly, the Bible says that every person who has ever lived has sinned. So the next question, what do we deserve and is there hope? So let's go just over the page to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now, this is just a little tidbit that some of you might be able to do. Did you notice what I just did? I didn't just read the reference, but I said, let's just go over the page to chapter 6. Now, I've given this study many times, and some of us in this room are going to be far more familiar with where different books are. Some are going to be less familiar. That's fine. But if you are familiar, try help them in the direction where to find it, yeah? It's just little tips for them to be able to find it, because what you'll often find with someone that's completely new, you'll be in Romans chapter 3, and you say, okay, the next verse is in Romans chapter 6, and they'll close the Bible, find the concordance, look up the number for Romans, and then work their way through. So just remember to help people on this journey through Scripture. So Romans chapter 6, and what verse? 23. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And remember, we're trying to learn what do we deserve and is there any hope? Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Now just pause there for a second. Good news or bad news? What is sin? Breaking the commandments, breaking the law. How many have done that? And what do we deserve according to the Bible? Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty dire. Yeah? We panic about global warming because of the catastrophic events it might have on the masses. But if this is true, if sin is breaking the Ten Commandments and everyone's done that and everyone deserves to die because of that, how much more dire is this situation than any other situation that can be? Yeah? This is 100% annihilation. So what do we deserve if we've sinned? According to the Bible? But let's not forget that this is a two-part question. 
is there any hope? Well, let's see how this verse finishes. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, what do we all deserve? Death. But is there hope, yes or no? Yeah. And according to the verse, this hope comes in what form? What's the word? Gift. Yeah? This hope comes in the form of a gift, doesn't it? In fact, I think it's really important that we understand the difference between wages and a gift. Wages and gifts are two very different things. A wage is what you earn in consequence of what you've done. A gift is something that you receive that you don't deserve. Now, let me make this very clear. If you've done a bunch of work and then someone gives you a gift for that work, it's not a gift, it's a tax break. Do you get what I'm saying? Sometimes people can call it a gift to avoid paying taxes, but the reason it's a loophole is because in reality, it's not a gift, yes? A gift is something that someone just gives you and you can't earn it because the second you earn it, it's not a gift, it's a wage, yeah? And so a wage is something you deserve, deserve, you earn in consequence of what you've done. A gift is something that you receive that you don't deserve. All sinners, according to this verse, have earned death, yes? Because the wages of sin is death. So what did we all earn? Death. As both a consequence and penalty. However, this verse has a beautiful promise at the end of it, doesn't it? Because instead of death, we are given a gift of life which we don't deserve, despite our condition, we can still have what? Hope. And this is the good news of Scripture. The good news of Scripture is that in spite of our case, or despite our case, despite our hopeless situation, God has found a way to give us hope. And it's not by anything you can earn but rather it's a gift from God. Now you might be thinking and wondering, how on earth is this fair? (laughs) Right? It just seems like God can wait. So God sets up rules, you break them and then he can just undo them. Right? And so that leads us to the next question. Why can Jesus offer us this gift? And to find the answer to that, we're going to go to Isaiah 53. Now, what we're about to read might be confronting to some who are unfamiliar with the gospel. But you know, last week, we spent a fair bit of time looking at the character of Satan and how selfish he is and how he only cares about prospering himself at the expense of anyone around him. But look at what the love of God has compelled him to do for you. Isaiah 53, and we're starting in verse 4. Isaiah 53, and we're starting in verse 4. The Bible says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And by the way, right now in a study, did it say Jesus has borne our sins? It says he. 
And so in times like this where the context is clearly Jesus, let them know who the he is, yeah? So they don't have to feel like they have to read the whole chapter to get the verse, yeah? And so he is Jesus. And so he, Jesus, has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Now don't miss this. He was wounded for who? What does the Bible say? He was wounded, what, for his mistakes? No, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. Remember, what is sin? Transgressing the law. So hold up. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and turned, everyone his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, this is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Now don't miss this. This is really important. So important that out of shock, I dropped my clicker. So, according to the Bible, did Jesus rub out of history something you did? Did he just remove what you did? Yes or no? No. The transgressions are very much there. The iniquities are very much there, yes? They don't just disappear. And so God is being fair in what he's offering us because he's not being a hypocrite by saying, first saying, this is really important, keep it, and then when you don't keep it, he's like, nah, let's just pretend you didn't keep it. He doesn't do that. But what does he do? He takes what you deserved and puts it on himself so that the demands of the law, what justice requires, is met. But he does it as your substitute. He does it in your place. Now tell me, what kind of God is this? I want you to honestly think about this. What kind of God is this? We have chickens at our house. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm a fake farm boy. What that means is I've never lived on a farm. I've only been a city kid. And when we came here, we got a place in rural land to rent. So I'm leaning into the farm life. Got myself in a Cobra. Got Ugg boots, not Ugg boots, gum boots. That's how you can tell I'm not a farmer. I conflate those warm feet with dry feet. And so we have chickens. One of our chickens got sick the other week. And I had to, for the first time, put down an animal. Now, I don't know what was wrong with it. It just, I don't know what was wrong with it, but it was crazy. It was going crazy. Now, don't miss this. My daughter, who loves them, Yelena, you guys know my daughter, she literally spends hours in the chook pen just holding chickens, singing to them. She loves them. She's like, Dad, one of my chickens is sick. Can we take it to the animal hospital? 
And my wife, being my wife, she's like, let's just take you to the vet. And you know what my response was? Vet. This thing's like 20 bucks. I am not going to be spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on a $20 chicken, man. 100%. That's what I said. And I was real tough. Tell you what, a little harder putting that thing to sleep. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. I actually really like my chickens. I do. I think they're awesome. You can ask Pastor Ashley. I brag about how many eggs we get all the time. There was nothing even remotely in me to sacrifice some dollars for this thing because I can just replace it. Now, what kind of God is this? What kind of God is this that takes our place and he bears our sins, he bears the penalty for our transgressions, for our iniquities, so that he can give you hope for yours? Why is he able to do this? Well, because Jesus took our sins and died in our place so that we may live. He's able to spare us from what we deserve because he took the penalty for our sins. Does that make sense, church? He's able to do this and still remain just and fair because he never took a shortcut. All he did was spare you and he took your place. This leads us to a very logical question, doesn't it? Why on earth, why would God do this for you? Well, the answer is found in John chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, some of you might need to turn there, others might not. But maybe we can say it together for those who do know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did God do this? Because he loves you. He loves you. The God of the universe, the God who says cow and there's a cow, the God who sneezes and there's Jupiter, the God who, according to Scripture, measures the span of the universe with the span of his hand. He measures the universe with the span of his hand. on this speck of blue called earth, on this speck within a speck called you. I don't need, please don't miss this. You are replaceable. You're as replaceable as that chicken. You absolutely are, just not to God. If we're talking about whether he could have made someone else, yes. But, but how do you do that to someone you love? And so rather than sparing any expense and starting afresh, he gives himself, receives your punishment, takes your place for no other reason other than the fact that he loves you. He's seeing that this God is a little bit of different than the God that wants to be God. And so that leads us 
to a very important question. How do you receive this gift? Now, now, I'll just pause here and say, okay, hold up. Is it starting to sound like good news? Yes or no? Sounds like great news, yeah? But what's the point of scrolling on Facebook or Instagram or if you're still watching those big things that are on walls and you see an ad for a really, really good deal, what is the point of knowing how cheap something can be or, or how great an offer is if you do not know how to access that offer? Yeah? And so this is really, really good news. And so let's learn, according to the Bible, how do we receive this gift? The answer is going to be found in 1 John. We're back in 1 John. It's the first book we started reading from, yeah? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. For those who have your Bibles, please turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All. How much? He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, if what? And so according to the Bible, how do you receive this gift? You confess, yes? And then just read the paragraph. It says, we need to recognize that we have sinned and confess those sins to Jesus. After we have asked for forgiveness, we are to believe that we have been forgiven. When we do this, we can have the assurance of salvation. This does not mean we will never sin again, but that we have chosen the path of repentance by turning away from sin. If you do this, every wrong you've ever thought, every bad deed you've ever done, every evil motive you've ever had, Jesus takes that from you. And it dies with Jesus on the cross. And then He gives you His beautiful, righteous, holy life. And you are completely and utterly righteous before God. God wants to do that for you. But what is Jesus waiting for you to do? What is Jesus waiting for you to do? Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Revelation Chapter 3 and verse 20. Let's read this together. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? Who's I here? It's Jesus. In fact, in some of your Bibles, it's going to be in red letters. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. 
According to the Bible, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? He's standing, according to this verse, where is Jesus? He's standing at the door and knocking. I invite the musicians to come up for the final special item. But according to Jesus, where is he standing? He's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. Now let me ask you, when someone knocks on your door, does that give them permission to come in, yes or no? How do you feel? There's a vacuum cleaner salesman. Do you remember when they used to go door to door? There's a vacuum cleaner salesman and you hear a knock and then you go around the corner to see who it is and they're in your house. Would you feel that's pretty appropriate? Does, that, does knocking, does Jesus knocking give him permission, yes or no? What if when someone knocks and you say, hello, who is it? Does talking back give him permission to come in? Yes or no? What about opening the door? Does that give him permission? Someone knocks on the door and you open it. Does that give them permission to walk in? What's the only thing that gives someone permission to come in? It's an invitation. Every sin you've ever done, Jesus is so eager to come in. He's so eager to come in and heal and to forgive. But you've got to invite him in. Jesus is waiting for us to invite him into our lives. And then just read the appeal there. The choice is yours. Jesus wants to give you a new life. He wants you to have the assurance of eternal life today. Won't you open the door and invite him in just now? And then just wait. Don't talk. Be silent. Won't you inviting him just now? For those who've heard this before, I'm not talking to you right now, but if there are people here right now who are hearing this for the first time and have not invited Jesus in for themselves, I want to ask you this very question. Won't you open the door and invite him in just now? You've heard what kind of God he is. you heard what he wants to do. Won't you invite him in? Now, some of you might be asking, how do I do that? Well, it's a simple prayer. And on the bottom of the guide, we've, we've included a simple prayer. But if there is anyone in here who's not made this decision, and you do want to invite Jesus into your heart right now, so that with full assurance, you're saying, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have done wrong. I know what I deserve, but I don't want to get that. And I'm so happy that I don't need to get that because you took my place for me. And Father, I want to leave my sinful life behind and I want to come to you. If there's anyone here who wants to make that decision, just raise your hand. And the prayer that I pray at the end, I'll pray over you. If there's anyone here who wants to accept Jesus into their heart right now, be completely free from any evil, any wrong, any sin, completely righteous before the Father, just raise your hand where you are and we're going to have a special prayer for you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. If there's anyone else who wants to say, Jesus, I need you, God bless you. God bless you. God is eager. He is so eager to save. And He's standing, He's knocking. And he's waiting for you. Now, I feel like I need to say this. You're not going to do what I just did in a house with someone. (laughs) 
That'd be kind of intimidating, right? Just read the guide and leave the question and wait in silence so that God in a still small voice can convict him so that they can respond. God's a gentleman. He's not barging into anything. He's standing there. He's knocking. And he is sweetly, softly and tenderly calling. Let's open the door. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals his waiting.
wants to heal. He wants to save. And he's willing to spend no expense for you. He loves you. So once again, if there's anyone here who wants to join me in this prayer to receive this beautiful forgiveness, where you are, just stand. And let's close with a prayer. He's calling. Let's come home. Heavenly Father, Lord, I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord. Today, I want to invite you into my life. Thank you so much for what you've done for me and I pray this. Lord, I pray this with all my heart. And Father God, if there is anyone else under the sound of my voice who wants to pray this with me, together we're going to say amen. And so in Jesus' name, amen.